Welcome to the Stacking Slabs podcast. Join Brett to get the latest sports cards investment advice, hear from industry experts that are deep in the trenches, and find out when to turn left when the rest of the market is going right. Get eBay ready, get PayPal ready. Let's be students of the game and stack those slabs. What is up? Welcome back to Stacking Slabs. Hobby Hustle here. This is a fun one. I've got someone who entertains us quite frequently. He curates guests for us to learn and to get more insights from on a regular basis. That's right. I'm with my man, Jeremy Lee, the host of Sports Card Live. That show's becoming an institution in the hobby. I'm so excited to have him on the show today. Um, I joined his show. Uh, I guess it was about a month or so ago and I had a blast. So I figured, you know what, Jeremy, come on Stacking Slabs, the hobby hustle. You're the definition of the type of guests we want to have on this show. So excited to share that conversation with you. Hopefully you got that weekly RIP newsletter in your inbox. It's Friday. That's when it comes. If you haven't already signed up, you can find the link in my bio on IG. And you know what? If you're listening to this on launch day, I'm in Dallas. I'm meeting all of you. I'm looking at cards, maybe making a deal or two. I don't know. Can't wait to report back on that. Without further ado, it's Friday. Let's enjoy some cards. Let's go. Let's kick it to the conversation. All right, everyone. Welcome back to Stacking Slabs Hobby Hustle. I'm really excited for today's guest. I've got Jeremy Lee, the host of Sports Cards Live. It is a show that I feel like has become kind of an institution in the hobby. I know a lot of people look forward to, especially on Saturday nights, tuning in late, listening to some conversations, some passionate conversations about sports cards with people all over the hobby. I think it's become certainly a staple and something I enjoy. I was a, fortunate to be a guest on the show, so I figured let's have Jeremy on Stacking Slabs to talk about cards. But without further ado, how are you this evening, Jeremy? I'm doing great, man. I'm super excited to be here with you. I've been a fan of your podcast for quite some time now. Uh, you know, your, your, your logo, your brand is something that I, it's so recognizable to me, everything about your show, your voice, your style, your demeanor, probably the reasons why I invited you on my show back in January. And, uh, it's really an honor to be here with you tonight, Brett. Awesome. It's amazing. Uh, January, it seems like last month, I can't believe it was that long ago. Like, that's what happens, I guess, over the past year, time is just flying. Maybe we kick it off with this. So we were talking before we were recording uh, as this launches, I'll be in Dallas connecting with a bunch of people, um, maybe buying, selling, trading some sports cards. I know uh, you unfortunately can't make it. We'll see at the national, but I'd love to just get your perspective as just a hobby veteran who's gone to so many shows over the course of uh, your career. Like, what should I expect as I go into a show like Dallas? Like, give me some pointers because I'm kind of all over the place trying to figure out what I want to do and how do I want to approach the show? Well, you got to expect some sensory overload. You know, it's going to, I mean, I haven't been to the Dallas show before, but from what I hear, it's excellent. Uh, I'd love, I would love to be there, but you know, you just have to be ready. You got to be nimble. You got to be, you got to, you, you got to have your head on a swivel on, on a, you know, because you're, you're going to basically, especially with your profile and the hobby, people are going to want to talk to you and you're going to want to look at cards. I'm guessing you're going, it's a card show. You want to look at cards. Obviously, the social aspect of, of a card show 
is 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 a really important part of it. And I think uh, you know, in 2021, it'll be more important or more prevalent than it's been in, in past years. But you you're you're gonna have to be nimble and looking around and make sure that uh, you know, if you're looking for cards, look for cards, look at look at showcases, talk to the vendors, all the stuff that comes natural to you, I'm sure, in terms of interacting with people. So uh, but really, you know, you're going to see so many cards in one place. And again, the Dallas show, I believe it's, gro- it's grown and grown versus the national, which has been, you know, huge for a long time. You walk into the national and it's just that there are signs everywhere. There are banners, there are people, there is noise. You hear people on megaphones from the corporate area and you see all sorts of different vendor setups, whether it's the dollar boxes, the showcases. The, like the actual floor showcases filled. Some people bring in like wall units and fill them up. So you just get ready for hobby Mecca. And I feel like the Dallas show is turning into something like that. Yeah. Good, good advice. I think I'm certainly uh, want to walk in there and just kind of look at the cards. I want to take some laps, let it soak in, not buy something I regret, but really just be patient and look around um, I think I'd love to, before we hop off the show topic, I'd love to maybe hear from you. Just, are there any that stand out for you, any kind of purchases at the national or other shows that maybe came from striking up a conversation or just going around while walking around uh, meeting with other vendors is any particular card that you've purchased at a show stand out to you from over the years? Yeah, man. I mean, so I've been doing the national since about 2005 or 2006. I, I've only missed one in all that time. And I would say in the late 2000s, I, I, I ran across a vendor. Um, I can't even think of his first name right now, but his booth is called Card Country. And he sets up with this other uh, gentleman by the name of Brady. And these guys have some of the finest vintage baseball cards you'll find at the show. And by when I say the finest vintage, I mean everything they have is really strong for the grade. And that's what they, that's what they kind of pride themselves on. And so when I was going to the shows back in the early, you know, back in the early days for me, I made it a habit of, I wanted to buy one nice vintage baseball card every year, you know, something between say one and five or $6,000. And back then you could get a lot for that money. So I bought every year from this one, from this one gentleman, uh, I, I purchased, the first card I ever purchased from him, I believe, was my Joe DiMaggio had the the uh, Gaudi rookie with the like the bobblehead one, the one mm-hmm. without all the gra- all the graffiti and graphics on it. I liked the cleaner card. In subsequent years, I bought a, a beautiful uh, Pee Wee Reese rookie card from him. I've bought my um, I, I picked up uh, the Ted Williams, my Ted Williams mm-hmm. play ball rookie card. It actually came from Brady. So you know, and these guys taught me to make sure that. When you buy a card, you look closely at the card because you could you could you could buy a card that's a PSA five that'll be a lot nicer than a PSA seven, and that's what these guys sort of taught me. And what we're seeing in the marketplace now is that eye appeal is so important, mm-hmm. and that sometimes cards in lower grades will sell for more than cards in a higher grade. You can see a five sell for more than a six, especially if it, especially if it has super high, um, super great eye appeal like some of these have. So. You know, when you ask me any cards that, that that ring a bell for me, it's it's those series of cards that I bought from these gentlemen. I picked up my Sandy Koufax rookie in a PSA seven at the National one year as that one baseball card per year. But aside from from that, you know, 
in that the 2019 national, I came across a booth, a gentleman, you know, I collect hockey pretty hard. And a guy had a whole bunch of jambalayas, hockey jambalayas. And it was before the hockey started taking off as far as inserts went, but since the bat, the nineties basketball have taken off. So I cleaned this guy out. I probably picked up like 30 different jambalayas from him for, pro, I don't know, five or $600 altogether. And you know, that I remember that because now when I, when I look at those cards, it's like, Whoa, I did really well on those purchases. So, but you know, you said at the beginning of this question, you said, you know, you want to take a few laps and don't buy something you're going to regret. You have to balance that mm-hmm. with the fact that if you see a card that you want, don't bank on it being there after you run a lap and come back. Be careful with that because that was happening before the boom. I can only imagine it's going to be happening more and more now where if you see a card that you want and you just, you, I'll come back and see if it's here in an hour. I want to see what else there might be for myself to buy. I, I don't want to spend all my money at the beginning. Just be careful because when you go back, there's going to be a strong chance that card won't be there anymore. The more and more I think about it, it's almost like buying a house these days with the the way the market is. If you walk in and you see something you like, you better put an offer on it because when you walk out of those doors, chances are the person behind you is probably going to buy it. Um, I like what you said there. Um, having some focus and direction, um, going in and saying, okay, I there's vintage baseball that I want to look at. That gives you at least one lane to to move down. So definitely um, good feedback and well done on uh, those uh, hockey jambalayas. Uh, I, I don't follow the hockey market, but just with what the basketball product has done over the years, I would imagine the hockey has uh, picked up some steam off, off of those coattails. Yeah, it really has. Uh, what, what's, what we're seeing a lot of is that what's popular in basketball seems to be popular in hockey. So it kind of, I kind of saw that happening and I, I pounced before uh, most people did. And I was doing that with, with uh, recently with the, the football PMGs where it was, Obviously, we know the the basketball cards, what those do. And um, one of my friends, Sierra, I'll shout him out, California card collector. He's like, hey, look at the Rod Strickland price of the card. Like you can get a Marvin Harrison for half the price. And I know you're a Colts fan. And I said, this is nuts. Like I'm going to buy this. So I think it's those trends you see. And it's just being aware and studying and seeing what's happening all across the uh, the, the board and in the market. Um I get, let's move over to the, just the collector's mindset. I think this is a topic that a lot of people in the hobby are talking about. You obviously are a collector at heart. I think anyone who tunes into your shows uh, understands you're, you know, very, very passionate, been in it for quite some time. I just, I'd love to like dig into that a little bit and understand just from you, like, where's it, where does that come from? Like what, what, what motivates you and what drives you to collect sports cards? Yeah, that's such a great question. It's it's a tough one to answer because it really makes you look in, into yourself, right? Turn, look in the mirror and understand what motivates you and what caused it at that early age. I mean, my earliest memories of cards are probably from 1979, 1980, when I was a little guy. And I first saw them on my the floor of my cousin's bedroom. And I picked up these hockey cards and I read the backs and I loved, you know, I was, again, probably six or seven years old reading the backs of these cards, the statistics, the players' names. And I was going to hockey games as a, as a young kid in the late 70s with my father. And so seeing these little pictures of those players 
something about it really just, it worked for me. It resonated with me. I really liked it. And I, you know, learning to read, learning numbers, all that, all those things. It just, it was kind of just subject matter that appealed to me for a few reasons. But, you know, I think, I think the, the motivation to collect, I really feel like it's deeply seated in my psyche from an early age, from going to school with other kids who, you know, I was buying packs of cards with my $2 allowance on the weekend for 25 cents a pack. I'd get eight packs. There were kids I went to school with who were buying, who were getting full boxes as presents from their parents for what, $18 or something back then. I could only dream of having a whole box of packs back in the early eighties. And so I really feel like part of it, part of it that's kept me going all these years is I'm still trying to get that whole box of packs that I couldn't get when I was like 10 years old, nine years old, that sort of thing. So maybe it's, and I, that's me being really introspective, but you know, it's, it's not so much the desire to collect, although I love collecting, but it's the motivation to acquire and own the finest cards that I can, because again, I think it might be related to not being able to have a full box back in the day when my friends did, and I can only get $2 worth of packs. So, you know, and our friends from sports card culture, the card ladder crew, they did an episode recently on the psychology of collecting and it resonated me with me in a big way. They went through eight points of what psychological points or that, that a collector has and uh, listening to it, it felt like they were describing me to a, to a T and um, you know, the one that really resonates with me today though, is the desire to be a part of a group of like-minded people. Uh, especially during these last 14 months where we've been removed from our social circles and our activities. So I, I'd say, you know, that's kind of, it, it's all of those things, but it's just also, it's the process. It's the cycle of chasing, you know, it's from doing your, it's from, first of all, understanding what do I want? Then it's hunting and searching for it, finding it, offering or bidding on it, waiting to win it or close that deal. Waiting for it to, you know, if you're not buying, if it's buying, if you're buying it remotely, waiting for it to arrive that mail day, opening that mail, you know, looking at it in hand for the first time, processing it into your collection, and then, and then moving on to the next thing and, and, you know, pulling it out every, every few months or whatever it is and appreciating the cards that you already have. So it's, it's all those things, man. And I love just the calling out the different stages and steps I don't think enough people talk about it, but it is all of those things all mixed up together that cause us, I think, as collectors to continue to pursue. Do you find yourself after you have gone through all of those steps that you just described and you get your card and you enjoy it for a bit? I find myself after I put it down, it's kind of on to the next one. And I don't know if that's the right thing, sometimes I'm like, maybe I should take a step back and enjoy what I have. But it's almost like this desire to go get involved in that process we just ended and started again. Like, is that something that kind of resonates with you? Like, what happens after you purchase a card? Are you kind of on to the next one? Or do you sit back and enjoy it or a combination? Well, it's not, it doesn't work quite as linearly as that, Brett, because Throughout all of those steps, the process is starting every day. That process is starting, you know, maybe not figuring out what I want, but even, even the window shopping, the, the browsing on eBay, the browsing on Instagram. And the step I forgot to, uh, to mention earlier was sharing your pickups with your hobby friends, with the community. 
to the extent that you do that, whether that's on Facebook, Instagram, or wherever else. So yeah, I mean, for me, it's ongoing. It's that process. There's always multiple processes happening at any given time. So you're always at a different stage. You, you know, we've always got cards coming in the mail. You just don't know when they're going to arrive. You're always finding new cards put on your watch list. And that's what keeps it interesting is, you know, you go to your eBay saved searches and you see that little blue indicator come on and you just don't know what, what you might find that you might need to add to that watch list. And then you're monitoring that watch list. But the ones that really, for me, are the, the ones that excite me the most are the cards that when they get onto my watch list, I go look at them every single day and just look at their pictures and anticipate the bid and planning the bid. What's my max bid going to be? There's one story, a card I bought. I think I won this auction on December 31st, 2020. And it was a, it's a Ken Griffey Jr. Rubies. And I, I saw this card and I thought, this is the nicest card I've ever seen in my life. Out of all the cards I've ever, you know, out of every card on the planet, as far as, you know, you know, I think some vintage cards are works of art, but as far as, you know, a 90s forward card, this to me was the nicest card. I looked at that card on the eBay auction, probably like five to 10 times a day during the whole 10 day auction. And I knew, you know, and the more you look at it, the more you want it and the more you are now willing to bid on it. And it's like, I'm getting this card. I'm going to put in a bid that no one's going to beat me. And thankfully I did put in a bid. Nobody beat me. And it, that card is just so special to me because of the amount of emotion I put into it during the early part of the process. And like the, those stories you just described, like everyone listening has been through that. And when it comes down to maybe selling something or consolidating, like those cards that you have those stories to connect with, that you remember that process, I find myself, those aren't the ones that are ever going out the door. Like I keep those. And to me, that's like the measuring stick in my collection of here's the cards that I want to keep and here are the cards, but I could potentially trade if something was came up that I really wanted. But the cards you just described that we've all had, like those are the cards that are staying with me, like under no, in no circumstances are, am I getting rid of that? Is that kind of how you feel about the Ken Griffey or maybe other cards that trigger those memories? Yeah. I mean, that that's one example of a card that is just so special and important to me. And I've got many cards like that where there's, you know, there's just no plan to sell it. And people will sometimes see it on your Instagram and they'll send you a message. Hey, what's the trade value? I'm like, I don't know. Like, I don't even know. Okay. $10,000. And they say, okay, well, would you trade it? Well, no, <laughs> no, there's, there's no, there's no real trade value on that card. It's not for sale. Um, you know, there's so many cards that for me are just not for sale, but that, you know, we all approach the hobby differently. And for me, you know, I've got cards that, that I buy specifically to flip because I think it's a good price or I get it in a collection or whatever, you know, I set up at shows, I need inventory. So those cards, there's no emotional value uh, related to cards like that, but a card that I buy for my personal collection, you know, I, I, I saw it was an episode of uh, cardboard Chronicles. This goes back a while now and I forget Josh's guest's name but it was probably my favorite episode of it. I'm sorry, I forget his name, but he, he brought up a concept that I wasn't really that uh, familiar with until he mentioned it. And we all talk about our PC being our personal collection, but he opened my mind to a new concept or just new to me, uh, a different PC being the permanent collection, which is a, <laughs> which is a subsection of the personal collection, right? Our personal collections, they can be fluid. There's no shame in having a card in there that, 
can move from the PC into the inventory or the show, the show cards or the traders. But the permanent collection, those are cards that you basically die with, right? And or you sell in your twilight years, that kind of thing. So um, that that pers- that gave me new perspective, and uh, and so yeah, I've got a lot of permanent cards, and I got a, and I have my personal collection, which some it, it can be fluid, but not as fluid as some people's, I would say as well. Yeah, I haven't heard the permanent collection. Um, maybe I missed that episode. I typically refer to those. And I've heard from other people as coffin cards, but same same concept. Um, I can tell just by watching your show and you've just described in you know moments of time we've been talking here that you're you're a fan of the hobby, you're a fan of people's content, like you watch, you consume, you obviously have your own show that you pour a ton of passion into it. Before we talk about sports cards live, I'd love to maybe get your perspective on just like content in the hobby like there's so much content like we're recording a podcast right now i always want to watch and listen to anything i possibly can obviously there's only so many hours in the day but i think personally like the more content the better in the hobby i think we're growing so quickly in that we're not all in the hobby for the same reasons we all have different interests so through this, I think certain genres of hobby content will emerge that'll kind of be personalized and satisfy kind of specific needs. That's a theory I have in just looking at what's happening. But I'd love to just get your your feedback on just like hobby content and like what your perspective is is on it, just being a content creator yourself. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I uh first of all, we call it the hobby, you know, and a lot of people You've heard people over this last year say it's not a hobby anymore, it's a business, which I just think is an incorrect comment. I think that the hobby includes the business of the hobby and and the infrastructure of the hobby. But I actually think it's more than a hobby for me. It's a lifestyle. It's a way of life. It literally is a way, just like going to work is a way of life, just like having a family is a way of life, just like being physically fit is a way of life. The hobby is a way of life for me. And it really, that really, that really kind of came to light in my own mind over this last year. And, and really going back to two years ago when I started seeking out hobby content. And the first, the first hobby content that I really found that I really enjoyed was the House of Jordans podcast. And that was, uh, I loved that podcast. I mean, those were three, four hour long pods. I'd go on walks in the evenings for, you know, half an hour to an hour. And I, I kind of savor them. I'd listen to a half hour here one night, an hour the next night. And it, it motivated me to go for, for a walk in the evening, get some fresh air, get some exercise. And then I, and then I came across, uh, looked on YouTube. I came across both Josh's cardboard chronicles, which I enjoyed every minute of those episodes back then. And I also came across sports card investor who was kind of newer and coming at it with a new, from a new angle. And I thought to myself, wow, you know, if, 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 if Jeff Wilson can, can do it the way he's doing, you know, maybe I can do something too. And so, you know, those three shows really inspired me and, and to do what I'm doing, which we'll get into, but in terms of today's hobby content, so there's so much of it now. And I agree with you, man, there's so many different genres coming out of it and we're seeing people experiment and try new things like the vlog, the footage from card shows. 
where we're seeing deals being done, where we're seeing showcases. I love, I love that because we're not there. We're not at those shows. Well, if you're not there, that footage is so great. Last night, I I searched in YouTube Wisconsin Dell's card show, and I found some because I I asked I asked Chris McGill the other day uh, on Clubhouse. I said, "Are we going to be?" Because he was there for a few hours on the Saturday. I said, "Did you see people with cameras taking video? Are we going to see some content?" He's like, "Actually, no, man. I didn't see a lot of people doing videos like." Sasha T didn't have his video camera out at the show. And I was like, darn, like so disappointed. But nonetheless, I searched it and I found some, I found some content from the show. I got to see what it was like. So I love, I love the, the hobby content environment right now. Obviously I don't like everything out there, but I'm consuming it all the time, whether I'm Mm -hmm. listening to pods or I'm watching uh, videos on YouTube and even just scrolling Instagram. I mean, those are my three go-tos for the most part. I, I'm kind of Facebook kind of makes me frustrated when I read comments and threads on Facebook more than anything. So I, I'm, a, I think it's great. And I think we're going to see it. Like you said, you know, we talk about in, in industries, you see consolidation of, of businesses and that I think we're going to see not, maybe not consolidation, but we're going to see some, we'll see the cream rise to the top. Some people will get bored and stop. And, uh, and the guys that are getting the best positive feedback will be motivated to continue. I think that's a good thing for, for all of us. Yeah, I, I, I love that perspective. And I think one of the things that just fascinates me, and you touched on it a little bit, is just like the, the, the documentary style, the deals done, the Sasha, Sasha T is pushing it really hard right now. And I think that's really great content because it's authentic, legitimate, it's real, it takes you right there. And I think Stuff like that, what where I might not be doing what Sasha is doing. However, I have a vested interest in the health of the hobby, and you need people like Sasha doing what they're doing. So watching a guy like him put content out there and it educates me on how deals are done, what things are going for. I think more of that stuff is encouraging, I think. And it to me, it's I say content needs to do two things. If it does both of these things. It's not, it'll knock, it's out of the park, but if it educates, it's great. If it entertains, it's great. If it does both, then you're going to get people to, to keep watching your stuff forever. And I think that's what you've done with your show. I think, you know, it's, it's become a hobby staple. I think, you know, I'm in group chats and it'll be Saturday and people will say, Oh, I got to jump on Jeremy's show. And I'm like, Oh, Jeremy has a show now. And I think it's, there's just buzz around what you're doing. I think it's the timing of it's really good. Before we get into all the details, I, you mentioned like get, being motivated by other content creators. Like, what was the point where you just took the leap and you said, "All right, I got to do this. I got to try it out." Yeah, so it's pretty cool, actually. This goes back to March of 2020 when uh, Justin Six Ten Sports Cards on Instagram he did that uh, virtual sports card show on Instagram, and I, I he did two of them. Uh, the first one. I don't remember if it was the first one or the second one or both that I took part in, but I sent a message. Yeah, I'd like to go live and show some cards. So I did that and I had a great time doing it. And I sold some cards, just did it in my dining room, had cards laid out, had my phone in my, in my hand and scanned the cards and kept on kind of talking about what, what they were and, you know, reach out this and that. So that was my first real live stream experience. And then, you know, I had a bunch, I had bought a, a vintage graded hockey collection and I wanted to sell a bunch of cards. And so I didn't, but I do not like the eBay process, the scanning, the listing, all that stuff. So I thought I'd just like to maybe do a live stream to a Facebook group where there's people who are really, you know, a captive audience on the, on that particular genre and see if, if I can get any deals done. 
So I reached out to the moderators of a, of a vintage hockey group and I said, here's what I want to do. And they said, yeah, you can do that. You can stream to our, you know, cause you can go live in Facebook mm-hmm. groups now when back then it was somewhat newish, I think they said, yeah, you can do that, but you can only do cards up to 1989. I said, okay, no problem. So I went live, whatever this was probably in uh, the end of March, went live in that room for, or in that Facebook group for about an hour and a half. And I had a great time and I sold a bunch of cards and I got great feedback to the point where people were messaging me saying, you should do that again. It was enjoyable because it wasn't just like this card, $20, this card, $20, this card, you know, it was that, but it was also conversational because people were posting comments and I was responding to them, uh, you know, in audio. So it was a great experience. And that kind of made the idea went off in my head to be like, maybe I should start a new Facebook group called Sports Cards Live, where people can go to live stream their sales instead mm. of having to scan and post prices and all that. So I got, I went to Facebook, I got the group, the group name was available. I snagged it. Then I, my mind started going, I thought oh, I better check YouTube too. It's a pretty good name. It was available on YouTube. I grabbed the name on YouTube and then I wasn't sure what I was going to do with it. And nothing was, I didn't, I had the group, but I wasn't inviting people to it. And I wasn't, sh- I wasn't sure how it would work out. Anyway. I ended up deciding I'm going to go live. I found, I found, I did some research on live streaming at that time. Very few people, if anyone was using StreamYard, the live streaming that everyone's using now. So I did some research. I figured that's the way to go. I got the, I got the software. I did the plan and, uh, and I decided I was going to go live on, I think it was April 18th. And I was going to invite a guest because you know, I wanted to bring people to the channel and I wanted to appeal to not just hockey, which I was known for. I wanted to appeal to the whole hobby, especially basketball, because I had made some good friends in the basketball world, like the Chris McGill's and the Rodman Martinez and, and Adam Gray's, those those guys who I met at the National and uh, a couple of them at the National. So I and I've been good friends with Carvin Chung for 15 years. So I called up Carvin, the invent, you know, the inventor of Exquisite and the Cup, and I said, "Hey, dude, I'm starting. I'm going to start this show called Sports Cards Live. Do you want to come and be my guest on Saturday, and we'll just hang out and talk? We'll see what we'll see what happens." He's like, "Yeah, sure, I can do that." So he came on with me. I went, but leading up to that, I thought, "Well, I better do an episode first to get my feet wet." So on April 16th last year, I did my first episode. I called it the intro episode. I haven't watched it since then. I don't remember what I talked about, but. I went live for whatever, an hour and a half, and um, I had a great time. Saturday rolls around. I remember I was nervous all day leading up to it because I was promoting it on Instagram, and uh, I think it was getting shared a little bit, and you know, some of the basketball guys were going to watch it, and uh, the show went off. It went pretty good, I think. So that's kind of how the whole thing came about, but I had to take that deep breath and go live for that first time because le- leading up to the show with Carbon. I was nervous all day, butterflies in my stomach, you know, and, uh, and that actually, it's funny that actually continued in, for the first dozen or so shows where I'd get nervous leading up to going live. Now it comes naturally to me. I'm probably 140 episodes in or something like that. So I don't get nervous anymore, but, uh, but yeah, man, that, that's how it all started. That's an awesome story. And, uh, Carvin, not a, not a bad first guest. Uh, he's got a few things to say and, some perspective to share. Um, that's awesome. I, something that I get asked sometimes, and I, I'd love to hear from you, but people ask me like, why do you do the show? Like, what is, what is your goal? What is your intention? And like, for me, I just, I started it as a 
passion project because I just wanted to share what I, I was learning along the way because the hobby changed so dramatically. And then as it evolved for me, it just became about the relationships and meeting people. And I find it so fascinating that I can speak and network and talk with people from all over the country and or all over the world and in and hear differing perspectives. And to me, like that's pretty cool. Is like all of a sudden, just because I decided to do a, a sports card podcast, now I have a network of people who kind of share in my passion. I I'd I'd love to get your perspective on like obviously you've been doing it for quite some time. It's work. Like people don't necessarily realize it. It's work. And I think we do it because we we're passionate about it. We're passionate about the hobby and meeting people. But like, what, what motivates you to keep, keep cranking away and keep it going? Well, from the beginning, I, I didn't have a goal with this. I was just, I'm going to go see what happens. We'll see how long this lasts. Let's see. Let's see what happens. And I've never, I never set a goal. My, my goal was just to enjoy it as a, as, as, a, as I was doing the shows. And it's evolved into what it's evolved in completely organically. And uh, so I'll, I'll start off by, by saying that what keeps me going and even what got me started is my passion for the hobby, my passion for, keep, for promoting the hobby. Uh, but what I say to people now, because you said people ask you the question, one of the biggest goals of my hobby right now is to bring guests that are important in the hobby. And by important, I don't just mean industry insiders. I always say my show is I bring industry insiders, passionate collectors, and content creators. Those are the three categories of guests that I bring. And I want to introduce these people to my audience so that they can have an understanding of the person behind the company, the collection, or the content. Because you and I go live all the time. We'll go live. You and I do our shows all the time. We're on a regular basis, but that's all people know about us. So even doing your show with me right now, this is you bring introducing me to your audience, just like I introduced you to my, and I probably said to you, Brett, I want my audience to get to know you. So I'm going to ask mm -hmm. you those kinds, just like you're doing with me right now, which is awesome. But that's what like, I've, I've had on some guests that I never would have thought, you know, like childhood dreams, like Dr. Beckett, as an example. I mean, I've been buying Beckett since the late 80s. I never like to think that Dr. James Beckett, the man behind that brand, it, it was like, I'm never going to meet this guy. <laughs> and now we we can we communicate on a semi-regular basis. He's been on my show three or four times. He's coming back. We're he's coming back. He's gonna be live with me on July the 24th, right before the national, to do a bit of a pre-national show. So I mean, how cool is that? Like the kid, the kid that I was back in the eighties, I had a card shop from 1991 to 1994. We sold Beckett magazine in the card shop. I never knew what the guy looked like, what he sounded like, none of that. Now, now I've been on his show a few times. He's been on mine. Like, it's just, it's just so awesome. So it's, it's introducing these people to my audience, bringing people uh, to the hobby that, you know, either collectors so that my audience can see other approaches, other mode, other passions, other motivations, content creators who are out there doing their thing, but we don't always know who they are and what motivates them, just like you're doing right now with me. And of course, the industry insiders who are who are kind of sheltered by their brands, whether it's Pops, Panini, Upper Deck, or Leaf, whether it's PSA, BGS, SGC, CSG. Or, we, or whether it's the ComCs, the PWCCs, uh, et cetera, et cetera. You know, let's 
let's get to know the people because we're so quick to judge and and sling it at, at some at them all the time. If you get to know them and see what they have to say, you may just have a bit of a different perspective. And I, I'd say that's my goal currently and for the last little while. Yeah, and I think you've done a great job of facilitating that. And um, I love hearing the structure of the types of people you bring on and why. And then already calling out the uh, the national preview. You're a man with a plan. I can tell that you have structure and a process, um, which breeds consistency. And I think that's why people keep coming and uh, why there's been organic growth on on your channel, providing good content, consistent and bringing on people to that the rest of the hobby can meet. Um, you mentioned uh, Dr. James Beckett. Um, I'd love to know if there. I've heard some pretty good stories on on your show. Um, I'd love to know if any particular stories stand out to you as like, all right, this is like the best or one of the best stories that that I've heard that you could share with the listeners. Oh man, you know this is you sort of prepped me for this one the other day, and it's it's a tough one because I'm not. You know, it's funny every every show I thank the guests for my last show. And I always have to look at my list to remember who it was because I'm so scattered, right? Like I'm planning ahead. It's like, hey, wait, who was last Saturday? And I got to look and see who it was. So it's a tough one for me to answer. But let me just say this, like from, from Dr. Beckett to Patrick Bet David, who came on and gave an economics lesson and how it applied to the hobby to just this past Saturday, DJ Ski was on with me and he talked about what influenced him to what, what, what are the influences that you can see in all of his projects, 70 cards to how he got involved with Steve Aoki and Dan Fleischman and Cards and Coffee. Brian Gray, you know, Brian Gray, the CEO of Leaf, who's a real boisterous, uh, outspoken character within our hobby with a great, just a great personality. He's been on with me five times and he's always got, he's got takes on the hobby and where it's at that just kind of are proven to be true months and months later. Ken Golden, Ken Golden, I was doing a show last uh, it was back in, I guess, June. We I did a reaction episode to the sale of the LeBron James Gold RPA for 1.8 million. And I had on Carvin with me and Josh Johnson. I brought them on because Carvin invented Exquisite and Josh Johnson owns a LeBron RPA. So we, rea- we, we did a reaction episode to that sale and the state of the hobby. Next thing you know, Ken Golden, who sold the card a few days earlier, like the day earlier, was in my chat making comments. And so Hey, Ken, let's get you on the show. Let's talk about it. So he came on the next month, like three days before he sold the Mike Trout for 3.8 million or however much that was. You know, having Tim Getch on a couple months ago from Com C and him basically, you know, explaining what's caused all of their issues, you know, during the, the last year, year and a half. And that was an episode that was really hard for me to do because I knew that there was a lot of angst towards Com C and the leadership there. And so, you know, my show, the other thing about my show is that I always say your comments and questions are in play. I integrate the, the viewers comments into the show as best as I can. I try to get to as many of them as I can, but I knew that it was going to be a little bit more challenging because there are a lot of people that are unhappy. So I actually made the conscious decision to let the comments run but ignore them for 90 minutes and do a question and answer period for the last 30. And, uh, and the story that Tim told really answered a lot of questions as to what was going on there. And a lot of people came away from that satisfied. A lot of people, well, some people didn't because people can be, you know, people can be very 
uh, judgmental or what, or impatient or whatever, or, 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 you know, and some of the, some of it, they're entitled to some of their, frust- to their frustrations. Uh, but it was, that was a bit of a challenging, uh, challenging show. And then I, when I had Rodman Martinez on at the end of the episode, we did a, we did a card showdown where he was going to show some cards. And then we were like, okay, hey, we were showing our Jordan cards and I would keep on showing a card until he had the same card. Then he'd show until I had the same card and then I'd show and. I mean, that was just, that was just a ton, a ton of fun. So uh, there, there's a few stories of episodes, but I, my guest list has, I've been very fortunate to have the guest list that I've had for the past uh, 14 months. Yeah, no. And I love the integration of the questions into your show. You're, it's, it, the, I think that's why people keep coming back. They're involved. You address them, you get, you pitch them to the guests. I, the rod, uh, uh, the, the episode with Josh and Carvin, I definitely remember that. It's one of my favorites. And the episode with Rodman was fun because I think it was, was it on the same night as Golden Auction were closing one night, I think perhaps? There was something going on in the hobby that night, but I remember maybe being on another stream and it was like, everyone was like, all right, we need to go over to Sports Card Live because uh, Rodman's on there and everyone went over and it was because everyone was fans of your show, fans of Rodman. And it was just like fun. Like people were in the chat and I don't know. I just enjoy that when it seems like there's a whole group of people around somebody else and everyone's just rooting for them. Um, I, that's just a, a fun part of um, the hobby. And I know like we, people can go watch your channel and watch the shows for all the stories, but I'd love personally, if was there any time where, and this happens to me where I'll talk to a guest We'll get in this rabbit hole and talking about cards and a guest will say something that triggers a thought. And then maybe a couple of days later, I'll get on eBay and start getting in a rabbit hole based on some card or set that they talked to. Has that, I'm sure that's happened to you at some point. Is there any, any particular cards or sets or parallels or anything that like a guest brought up that you hadn't thought about, but took you down kind of a different path in the hobby? Yeah, Brett. I mean, it happens all the time, as you know. Unfortunately, nothing really comes to mind specifically, but I'll be I'll be doing the show live and someone, a guest or someone in the audience will say something. And I'm literally on looking at my I'm on my phone or I'll be searching on eBay, kind of looking to see what this card is like, because that that happens to me every day, probably just scrolling Instagram. That's what's great about Instagram is you're seeing other people show cards that you either didn't know existed or you didn't, maybe you, you knew the sub, the insert set existed, but you know, didn't know that that player was in it. You knew that maybe it existed for basketball, but you didn't know it was for baseball opens up all these opportunities to add cards. So it does happen to me all the time. And it's, you know, it's one of the things about the hobby in general uh, for someone like me, I mean, I've been collecting aggressively for close to 40 years and I'm not bored. Like I I haven't, I've never gotten bored. I've come close. I've had a few lulls here and there, but I, even now, even now I'm constantly discovering new things that interest me uh, and to collect, whether it's a different sport, I'm into some non-sport. I I won't get into everything I collect right now, but yeah, I'm always, I'm a, I'm, I'm like, I'm a head on a swivel kind of collector, like, Oh, shiny penny, shiny penny. You know, it's like that, that interests me. Uh, I, I, and I can be susceptible to trends sometimes, like even the Pokemon trend last year, I thought, well, you know, I don't want to miss an opportunity. I, I suffer from FOMO to a degree, 
And so I didn't want to miss some opportunities. I bought some Pokemon cards and I, and then I stopped. It just, it doesn't interest me. I understand not, not, nothing against it, but um, so I will sometimes go down a path, a bit of a rabbit hole, try and learn as much as I can, spend a bit of money, buy a few cards, and then realize, ah, you know what? Don't get too caught up in it. You don't love it. Stop, refocus, get back to what you love, what you know, and then keep your eyes open, be, be, be open to new things. And, and I am, and I've been fortunate in late 2020, 2021 alone, I've encountered two new genres that I'm interested in, that I'm, that I'm pursuing, that I love. So that's been fun when I can say, you know, here I am 40 years later, and I'm still finding new things to collect. Well, you got, you got to let us know what are the new genres? Well, the first one is non-sport. It's basically vintage uh, Hollywood music and historical figure cards. I've been mm-hmm. really interested in those. And uh, the other one is the F1, which is recent. And that's only because I watched the, uh, the Need for Speed, I think it was called documentary, all 30 episodes. And like, I finished them about three days ago and I started them like two weeks ago. And that was a great documentary because you get to know all 20 drivers in F1 and maybe mm-hmm. 24 with some overlap over the different years it covered. I think it covered 18, 19 and 20. And you get to know the, the team principles and you get to see the cars and you get to see all the races in all these years and who wins. And, but you get to know the racers, which is something that if I was just watching F1 on, on TV or just seeing highlights, I don't know who these guys are, but now I do. So when I buy their card, I feel like I know them. I've only mm-hmm. bought two cards so far, but I'm watching a ton of them on eBay right now. And so that's, I'm excited about F1 now, as a, but not only for the hobby, Brett, as a new interest in general. Yeah. And, and that's, you're not the only one. And that show has had just a tremendous impact on uh, building awareness for that series. And, you know, I have not watched the series. I have, I'm not collecting F1 cards. Um, I'm an IndyCar fan being in Indianapolis. And I just wish that that was IndyCar and the driver. There's so many cool stories in that series that there was some further exposure like the F1 series is getting now, but I get it. I it's international. I totally get the appeal. I, I think uh, a few it was a, before it really took off before Chrome came out, I think I started seeing the, the uh, Lewis Hamilton uh, tops now card trickling up. And I remember looking at it on eBay and being like, should I, it was a couple hundred bucks. And I was like, should I buy this? And I was like, I don't watch, I don't watch F1. I'm not going to. And then, you know, looking at the card now, it's just exploded. I said, well, maybe I should. Um, but I think that's fun. It's a fun part of the hobby. It's just, there's so many avenues to explore. And yeah, like you said, you got to have your head on a swivel because something you are uh, looking at or buying might become a, a, a new passion. So I, I think that's uh, a really cool. Um, I'd love to maybe just turn to, well, first, well, you mentioned Ken Golden and I, I'd love to understand it like, your role in like having a show. Cause I think about this often, like Ken golden is obviously just given he's given tremendous exposure to the hobby. He is going to have a new show. We don't necessarily know all the details, but his show is going to exist. It's going to get more eyeballs on the hobby ever before new people are going to come in. They're going to start consuming content. They're going to start buying cards. Like, have you thought about like what, like a show like Ken golden's talking about putting on, might do in terms of like 
the the second wave of explosion or a, another explosion in the hobby like have you thought about that and if so like how do you think like your show fits in like does that change kind of your mission or do you just kind of keep running its course like how do you think about that well first of all i think it's awesome that he's that he was able to put some sort of deal together to get the show however, however that came about and yeah i think it's going to bring a lot more eyeballs onto our little uh little part of society here our, onto our hobby our what i what i'm now starting to call our lifestyle and <laughs> uh and so i don't think it can hurt right any attention should be good attention uh and so hopefully that hopefully the content of that show puts our hobby in a positive light but i think more than anything what it's going to do is it's going to cause even more people who for whatever reason during the pandemic didn't go search out their childhood hobby their cards in their attics or basements We'll go do that now, just the way American Pickers did and Pawn Stars did and, and all those sorts of shows. So, yeah, to me, I mean, it's long overdue. And does it change my mission? How do I fit in? I think I keep on doing what I'm doing. Hopefully it'll hopefully it'll just expose me to more potential guests that people will want to see on maybe on, on another venue, you know, ask them questions live, that kind of thing. But yeah, I mean, I think I keep on doing what I'm doing. And, uh, you know, I, 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 again, no goal, no real, no, no real end game in sight for me here. It's just, again, organic. It was created organically. I continue to develop the show organically and we'll just let it develop into whatever it does, how, however it does. So, but I'm very excited for that show. I, I'll be watching it guaranteed. So, so, so will I, I think everybody, everybody will, um, Maybe we close it out with this. There's there's so much happening in the hobby right now. It's, a lot is changing. It, you know, we've seen it seems like every day you wake up and there's a new story. Change motivates me. It excites me. I, I like it. I I try to take a step back, not to think about things from my own personal view, but just view from the hobby lens. And I think a majority of it, things that are happening are, are like Ken show are are good for the hobby. Um, I'd love to maybe get just in closing, like maybe we start with like then maybe not so good so we can end on a positive note. What is something in the hobby that's like maybe not making you excited right now that you wish would change? And then like, what is something in the hobby that's happening that does get you really excited right now? So, okay. On, on the, on the, I guess, negative side, a couple of things. I mean, first of all, what we have to understand as hobbyists as observers of the hobbies that we are all operating with incomplete information, some more incomplete than others. It's also important to understand that other people can offer us pieces of information that will fill in our gaps. And we have to open our mind to that. You know, whether you've been in the hobby for 40 years or 40 days or 40 hours, you don't know everything. Be open to information, be open to people uh, explaining their situations and, uh, and, Try and have some some empathy, some some patience it, with, with the hobby right now. Never mind society as a whole. We're seeing delays everywhere, not just in the hobby with various things. So, and and then I want to also mention that for someone with you know with with forty years of experience or whatever, 10, 15, 20 years of experience, we can learn a lot from the newer hobby entrants because they're bringing a fresh perspective. And I really try to remind myself of that to so that I'm always um, I'm always you know, open to new ideas and, and those fresh perspectives. 
I'd also say that uh, standard issues right now, things like high pops neg- on the negatives, you know, high pops that are scaring off other hobbyists, uh, lack of competition in the single license era. There's the scammers, the, the what's all the whole retail situation right now, the distribution methods by the card companies, the exploding prices of new sealed product. Um, and then, you know, the negativity that we see spewed at industry incumbents, it's while we need to be critical and and you know provide feedback to the companies that that are the infrastructure the hobby you know i do think that if we care about the hobby we should be promoting it versus like kind of pooping on it and the way we can do that is just by by providing some constructive feedback some constructive criticism i saw a post somewhere on instagram the other day where the, it was basically hashtag boycott blank the company i'm like really there's hundreds of staff. You want to put them all out of a job? Is that is that your goal here to unemploy people? Or is your goal to provide feedback, hope for the best, maybe be a little patient? Uh, so it's a tough, it's tough to balance. And I'm I'm kind of, you know, I'm kind of somebody who I'm patient in this hobby, Brett. I'm very patient. I I will send a car, I will send cards for grading. I'm willing to wait a year if they're my personal collection. I don't need them back right away. And that's just me. I I'm not projecting that on anybody else. I would just try and encourage. Some patience and some some sort of understanding for a lot of a lot of um, a lot of the companies in our hobby. On a positive note, I mean, you know, gosh, there, there's so many things. Like we're still we're still early in the game in terms of infrastructure in the hobby. We see fellow hobbyists creating companies all the time. It's somewhat fragmented right now, but I think that the natural evolution of of an industry over time that the cream will rise to the top. There's going to be some. Consolidation, the hobby will be organized in a fashion that does make it more digestible to new entrants as time goes by. That excites me. It's exciting to watch the hobby evolve over the last 40 years. And like God willing, man, I'm going to be here to watch it evolve over the next 40 years. The fact that I never run out of things to collect and my taste evolves over time, it's conducive to not getting bored with the cards themselves. I love the creativity of the card companies, uh, the innovation. It never ceases to amaze me how many ways they can design and decorate an eight and a quarter square inch piece of cardboard. So, you know, there's opportunity to meet people from all walks of life, from all over the globe, and simply the gratification that comes from that. I love it. I'm, and I'm just so excited to meet so many people at the upcoming card show. It just makes me giddy thinking about it. Jeremy, I appreciate the perspective, a whole lot of passion. And that's why I enjoy your content and enjoy speaking with you. There's a lot of energy coming from you and it's all directed at making the hobby better. We need more people like you. Make sure you go check out Jeremy's show, subscribe to it, Sports Card Live on YouTube and Jay Lee underscore Sports Card Live on the IG. Jeremy, thank you. I was saying before, I know there's hockey playoffs going on. Go enjoy some uh, hockey playoffs and uh, we'll have to get you back on Stacking Slabs. Thanks so much, man. Thank you, Brett. Really enjoyed it. Jeremy's always bringing that passion and energy around the hobby. I love that so much and that is why I keep tuning into his content. Go hit that Sports Card Live subscribe button on his YouTube page. Follow him on IG. Follow him everywhere. He is a good brother in the hobby. If you like what you've been hearing on the show, hit that subscribe button. Leave me a review. Tell me how I'm doing. I'm going to go enjoy this Dallas card show. Hopefully you're having a good one. Take care of yourself. Take care of others around you. And we'll be back next week. Peace.